0: You're walking by and someone's like, I'm doing my kegels. And you can see their shoulders <laughs> moving.
1: And they're like, their body, I'm doing my kegels. And they're like, you know. Like, nah, homie, you're
0: not doing
2: it right. Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello.
1: You're looking divine today.
2: Oh, sweet husband. I, so.
1: I actually I, I like the dark lipstick. This isn't
2: dark lipstick. This is just red lipstick.
3: Mm. Dark. (laughs) Okay.
2: (laughs) We are joined by a very exciting guest today. Yes. Today's guest was suggested to us by a Shandy. Mm -hmm. A listener wrote me an email, and then I did a little digging, and I was like, she's correct. This would be a fantastic guest.
1: I remember the conversation.
2: Yes. We are joined today by a sex-positive pelvic health physical therapist, sex educator and counselor and professor at Dell Medical School in Austin, Texas. Correct me if I'm wrong on anything, but I'm pretty sure I got (laughs) that right.
0: You got it. Perfect.
2: You got it. Perfect. (laughs) It's honestly, of have so many credentials that it's hard yeah, to keep a, track. A <laughs> it is a long <laughs> It's a mouthful. Okay. You are, correct me if I'm wrong again, but this, this blew my mind. One of three pelvic health physical therapists in the world to also be certified in sexuality counseling. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah,
0: so, so that's actually, that number is going up. So I think now it's about six or seven. Oh, well, okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no big deal anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and she's also the founder of sex ed platform UC Logic, which I have been enjoying very much. Very educational,
3: mm-hmm.
2: very woke, and t- you talk about things that I feel like just people are afraid to talk about. I'm not going to talk about your credentials anymore. Just join us, Uch Doctor Uchenna Osai. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I like I said, I'm just so excited to gab and talk about. <laughs> All the things, sexy or not, or mm. things going down in the pelvis, yes. whatever
2: whatever floats your boat.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. Pelvic happenings.
2: <laughs> pelvic yes. Happenings. yes. <laughs> so I've got to say, Uchenna, that when we polled our listeners, because we always, whenever we have a guest coming on, we ask our listeners to ask their questions. I don't want to assume what people want to know. And I want them to tell me what they want to know. The response to hearing that we had a pelvic floor physical therapist on was overwhelming. Whoa. Yes. And we've had a sex therapist on. We've had a marriage and family therapist on. We've had lots of experts, but it was like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize just how desperate people are to talk about this.
3: Yeah, that
0: sounds about right.
2: This uh, jives with your experience.
0: One thousand percent. One thousand oh. Pers- people of all genders, um, primarily yes, but uh, primarily with uh, women and vagina owners and, and all that.
2: Okay, <laughs> okay. So typically with these hot topics episodes, we dis- we divide things into confessions and questions for you. So a- as an okay. expert, and. It's always been interesting for us to see what people respond to, because, for example, the sex therapist, there were a lot of questions for confessions. Like, what has she seen? What's the weirdest kink she's ever encountered? But for you, it really mostly fell into the for the doctor <laughs> territory. People want to know about
0: their pelvises.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Heck, yes. I mean, I love it. You had so many people asking questions. I mean, that makes me super duper happy and I'm jumping with joy, but I also, it also makes me sad because it says that there's not a lot of information and resources out there for people to easily access. Um, But then also kudos to you both for bringing this to everyone's table.
2: So on that topic, right off the bat, I'm going to go out of order because one of my questions was, is it just me or does it feel like this isn't covered at all anywhere?
0: It's not. It's not. And I can tell you this um, from many layers, right? So when when I went to physical therapy or when I went to PT school, I, I became a pelvic health I became a physical therapist to do pelvic health. I, I wasn't it wasn't something I fell upon. Like I knew I wanted to do this when I was fifteen. And wow. it was really difficult to find graduate programs that had even professors with experience in teaching this. So then I realized, oh, I need to do a residency program you know, so postdoctoral training, but there were only at the time, there were only six in the country that were credentialed that took one resident at a time. So it was crazy competitive. I was very lucky. And then I got into the Duke program and the WashU program, I ended up going to uh, WashU. Um, but then on top of that, so I did a residency, but then in the residency program, they weren't really doing a lot on sex even though we were seeing people with sexual dysfunction. And I, I am going to brag. I went to the best program in the world. I had the best mentors, advisors, all of that, educators. But I mean, even my advisor said to me, you know what you see, like, you're gonna have to do some self-study here because <laughs> we don't have this specialty here. And so I had to then do additional training at University of Michigan, um, where I got didactic learning. Cause here's the thing, you know, I was practicing for a couple of years you know, in Houston, which was a massive medical center. And it was, I was in a multidisciplinary practice, which is ideal when you're dealing with pelvic floor dysfunction, you know, but I needed to practice to understand what I was talking about. Mm. And I, you know, yes, I'm comfortable with, at least I thought before I did the Michigan program, that I was comfortable talking about sexy time until I went through formal training and I got the didactics. And I got, I got the certification because I wanted my patients to know that they weren't talking to someone where it was just, you know, I read a book and now I'm going to counsel you. It's like, no, I went through training. I went through a lot of supervision with all these senior therapists to make sure that I knew what I was doing and doing the right thing. And that's why we're starting to see, that's why you're seeing so few pelvic health PTs with this certification. You're seeing a lot of pelvic health therapists out there, but then when it comes to just talking about sex specifically, that's also another niche.
2: That's actually crazy because you would think that they that would be naturally the m- most of it, yeah, that they would know. go hand in hand. Because
0: mm-hmm. sexual health is health. If a patient does mm-hmm. does not view themselves as having a sex life that they deem adequate, they are not going to view themselves as healthy.
2: Yes, so Thank it is you. an indicator yes. of health.
0: It's an indicator of health, and you have to <laughs> ask patients about that. If you don't, if you're not asking a patient about their sexual function, then you're not asking. You're not doing a proper speech.
2: I'm going to start with confessions of which there are very few questions, just a couple, and then we're going to get into, we're going to start talking about the pelvis. (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm.
2: What, in your experience, are the three most common issues that patients come to you for?
0: Okay. Urinary urinary incontinence, pelvic pain, and some type of orgasm dysfunction or libido dysfunction. Okay. I'm going to lump those together.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, that's actually, and honestly, that really tracks with the questions Mm -hmm. we got. Like there were a couple of outliers, but I really try to focus on the most frequently asked ones and that it tracks. Yep. Yep. And then what has been the most surprising thing you've learned or seen in your line of work?
0: Shame has a lot to do with how people experience their pelvic floor dysfunction. Shame about their body, understand how they were educated about their body, audacity, autonomy, a lot of the things that we, how we were raised, how we were taught to experience the world and particularly our bodies in that world can impact how we experience pain or how we deal with it, or yeah. pelvic floor dysfunction. So I was actually surprised at um, how closely those were interleaved um, in, in all the years that I've been
2: practicing. Mm-hmm. Once again, her answer tracks <laughs> yeah. with the questions we got.
1: Did, did you find that the shame fell more on the male side or the female side?
0: You know, I think it's an equal opportunity employer. Mm
1: -hmm. You
0: know, I think it's one of those things where depending, because, you know, when I was in Houston, I saw actually like 50, almost 60% men or male identifying identified individuals. And the shame was legit. It was, it was Mm -hmm. real, you know, no matter what we were dealing with, whether it was post prostatectomy, incontinence, and ED issues, or just premature ejaculation, all of that. And then for women, it was, the shame took a different, sh- a different, you know, shade, shade. Yeah. but it was still there. And it, a lot of my time was spent kind of talking them through that. Right. And, and then we were able to kind of get into the nitty gritty, the techniques, but when you have that shame and you have that, it kind of serves as a block.
1: Mm. And what, what yeah. was your go-to method of, you know, sort of like the 90 seconds, stop the shame talk? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so the first thing, the go-to method was to acknowledge that the shame was there. Uh-huh. You know, to kind of pull it out, say, okay, well, that's a manifestation of shame.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And we're gonna, I'm gonna manage your shame by giving you some education on that specific issue. Okay. And and then tasking you and task and kind of, ta- kind of pinning that to the homework assignments I would give them. Right. So it wasn't just do Kegels. It might've been do Kegels and belly breathing, but then I want you to, listen to
2: this five minute, um, or watch this
1: five minute YouTube video on a penis, penis function. Sure. <laughs> those, are, those are my, my favorite videos.
2: It actually got me thinking about just how powerful an emotion shame is. Mm-hmm. Like we've actually talked about this in a completely different context. The context was therapy, yeah, right? Like talk therapy, but it's just amazing how shame is just like
1: such a driver yeah like especially same that you know it sort of develops in early childhood and then it just drives so many life choices and so many sort of micro choices it's it's a and powerful hang-ups. emotion it is especially especially with sexual dysfunction,
2: yeah yes, okay, questions for the doc We're, we have we have quite a few, and like I said, it was. I was almost emotional reading some of these we all our questions are always anonymous. And a lot of the questions came along with some form of, I can't believe I'm sending this to a stranger, but you know, <laughs> lay here. it on me. Lay yeah, it on me. I love it. So we're gonna just start with the basics. Because okay. I feel like you hear about the pelvic floor here and there in a vague way, like maybe in an online article about yeah. sexual health. But can you clarify what Exactly, it does. And the connection between pelvic health and sexual health.
0: Absolutely. So think of, think of your pelvic floor as, you know, almost like a multi-layer hammock of muscles that sit at the bottom of your pelvis. So they hold your organs inside of you. They attach at your pubic bone in the front, right? And then all the way back to your tailbone your coccyx bone in the back. And its primary job is to stabilize your spine, hip and pelvis to keep your organs inside, but then also helps you with urination, defecation, sexy time in babies. And so basically it's a a skeletal muscle. So meaning you have control over that. So for example, you don't have direct control over your bladder because that's smooth muscle. So that just kind of runs on autopilot. Whereas your pelvic floor muscles, you can contract, you can relax them and you can lengthen them. And that's really important for people to understand. They're supposed to be contracted, relaxed and lengthened. So they need to go through all those ranges, right? Just like you can bend your elbow and straighten it, and it can go through that range, your muscles do that. If everyone's always concerned about clenching their pelvic floor all the time, then we have a problem. Then you have problems with pain or incomplete emptying or urgency frequency. And so that's how it's connected. And it's also a synergist with your diaphragm. So when you inhale, your diaphragm drops down and your pelvic floor should release and drop down as well, right? It works with your abs, your glutes, everything. So training your pelvic floor means training everything.
1: So it's just a question just I'm trying yeah, to, I
2: already have questions. I'm trying to
1: feel what you're talking about. But like if sure. you have to if you have to pee really badly and you're and you're holding it in, I'm assuming you're contracting your pelvic yes. floor. Okay. Yes.
0: Yes. But imagine imagine if you were clenching all day. Right?
1: Oh, yeah. Right. Wow.
0: And and that's your baseline. I can't stop clenching oh God, now. Terrible. Right? Imagine that's your baseline all day and you're not I'm aware. Relaxed. And you're not aware that
3: you're clenched. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's that's the trick. So that's why it's difficult to treat sometimes. Because first you have to get the patient to recognize that their muscle is actually in a hypertonic state, or or the opposite.
2: Yeah, they don't know what default is. Like what just right, right yeah, natural is. Yeah.
1: Wow. Right? So uh, just one other question. So yeah. when you're or, when you're orgasming, is that mm-hmm. a, a, con- a deep contraction and then release of the pelvic floor?
3: Yes. So basically it's
1: almost
0: yeah, it's like the pelvic floor is contracting, relaxing in quick rhythmic um waves.
1: Okay. And that's 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 um passive. Like you're not actively doing any of that. That's completely you're not yeah, that's reflexive. Pretty, exactly.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's kind of like um automatic or mm-hmm. uh, you know, part of that autonomic parasympathetic nervous system, which is mm-hmm. a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um but again, like if you don't have normal pelvic floor function. So if you have low tone, high tone, if you're le- if you don't have the coordination, right? So if you're relaxing when you think you're contracting, and you're contracting when you think you're relaxing, that's going to disrupt your muscle pump system during orgasm, which can impact your ability to feel and experience the orgasm from the physical aspect. Wow! The physical side.
2: Can you and can you define quickly low tone and high tone? Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. So everyone, you know, let's just all do an experiment. Everyone, clench your fist. Right. So just clench your fists really hard. And so you feel that's high tone. So if you feel your, your fist and the muscles in your hand, that's a high tone. Mm-hmm. And then like, if you relax and like kind of let everything go limp, that's yeah. low tone.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Easy enough.
2: Yeah, that's easy enough. I like that. And yeah. when you say lengthen, we haven't even gotten any of the questions. We already have so many Boy, questions. We're going to get
1: stuck here. I know.
2: When you say lengthen, is that the same as stretching like if i'm just like you know flex my bicep or clench my bicep versus stretching it or is it just relaxing Is it just re- like relaxing expanding it do you know what i mean like i've it's, it's di- yes
0: yes so think about it when you contract like let's say you're doing a crunch right and you're looking thinking about your abdominals your abdominals are shrinking they're getting um, the rectus abdominis muscle gets shrunk down so that's what we call like construct, con- concentric contraction so the muscle shortens Mm-hmm. Right. But you can still do a stretch. you can still do a contraction as the muscle is lengthening. And so you, your muscle relaxation and lengthening are not the same thing.
2: Mm. Okay.
0: And so basically when you, if you're having a bowel movement and your muscles are like dropping down, like that's a length, like you're lengthening those
1: muscles. I, th- I think I may have had an involuntary lengthening once at Taco Bell. Is that a thing that actually? That's that's just how it happens, right?
0: That's I mean, especially if you get that fiery hot sauce. That involuntary lengthening, is mm, yeah, it's gonna be a thing. It's
1: a stiff, it's a, a very fan. very solid lengthening I had.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna get right into it. Get and into you
3: know, it, my And you, <laughs> you know, you
2: you know. What I'm going to say now. I knew vaginismus was a thing. I knew it existed, Mm -hmm. but I was really, truly overwhelmed by just how often this came up from our listeners. Could you give us a brief overview of the condition and how you would, you know, just the bare bones of how you would treat it? And then I have sub questions after that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, vaginismus is one of the conditions under the pelvic. So I'm going to nerd out for a second, but I do think it's important for your listeners to understand it from this perspective as well. So the DSM-5 categorizes, um, you know, women's sexual dysfunction in different categories. One of the names for it is genital genital penetration um, pain disorder, genital pelvic penetration pain disorder, GPPPD. It
2: rolls off the tongue that one. and
0: (laughs) And vaginismus is under that umbrella. So vaginismus is a type of sexual pain. Okay. And so, what happens is the muscles, um, basically, like the outer third muscle, so the mu- the entrance of the vagina is going to kind of close or contract, contract around a penis, tampon, speculum, finger, toy, whatever. Um, and so, and just reflexively, reflexively does that. Now, you might you might see it in terms. It's rare that we have a patient that you put it there and it just clamps down. What we commonly see are patients where it's just tight no matter what, and we can't get our finger or we can't get a speculum or even a cotton swab in there. Um, so that's specific wow. vaginismus. Okay. A lot, uh, some of your your listeners may also have something where they may be able to get something in there, but it's painful and it feels really tight, or it's just it just feels like someone's like a thousand razor blades in their vagina. Um, oh every time they have penetrative intercourse. And for some patients, it's even so bad that arousal, so then just thinking about sex elicits pain
2: in the clitoris, oh
0: in the vaginal opening. So that so so it's incredibly um disruptive to someone's life, well-being, self-esteem, uh, you know. Of and course. think about it, you know, if 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 this is a thing and you don't know how to treat it, or your doctors don't know how to treat it or triage you properly, and then you keep having sex because you're wanting to make your partner happy, or you're just thinking that it'll go away. Eventually over time, your brain thinks that sex penetrative penetrating sex or any type of sex is dangerous. Mm. So then your body starts to get this fear response. Mm-hmm. Anytime the thought or idea of sex comes into play. So to, answer your question about how to treat it, it just depends on what degree is coming to my clinic. If this is something that just started for this patient a couple months ago, and they're like, I don't know what's going on, then I'm just gonna say, okay, so let's just do an evaluation. So we'll do a pelvic floor assessment, see what's going on. If And I'm gonna ask them, what's going on with your back, spine, hips? I'm gonna do a full screen. So I just don't go straight to the pelvis. Because remember when I talked about the pelvic, pelvic floor is part of a system.
3: Hmm.
0: Right. So sometimes someone might be having a back issue or a hip issue that's cause that's referring to the vagina and penis. Right. And so that (laughs) that can cause problems. So if we just treat that, everything goes away in the genital area. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's
0: why you really do need a therapist that understands that and is going to screen that first instead of just going to the pelvis. So that's going to be they have to do their due diligence with that. Then once I screen them for that and everything's okay, then if there if there's a fear component to it, then I need to bring in mental health or I need to kind of start to break this down for them and help them understand, okay, now we're dealing with a chronic pain issue, Mm. right? Especially if it's been longer than uh, six months because now your brain is invested in keeping this pain cycle. So we have to first get you to understand they have a chronic pain issue, we might need to give you something like lidocaine. We might use dilators to help massage the muscles and release the muscles, stretch the muscles, but it's not just stretching the muscles because it's the idea of sex that gets that person to contract. So we have to do almost like graded exposure therapy for them. So for some of our patients, they might do dilators on their own, but they don't know how to do that for themselves. And so they're just kind of re-traumatizing themselves when they do it by themselves. So sometimes I might even do dilate or mindfulness where I teach them to just be mindful. We even think about, just go through that process in their brain. Don't touch their bodies. Or start when, they re- when they're when ready to touch their bodies, we start with inner thighs. We start with belly. We start with breasts. We kind of get their body, kind of soothe your body down so that when your partner touches your shoulder, you're not going to have this reaction like, holy Jesus, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm saying?
1: It sounds like you're describing a mental reaction to a physical um, symptom.
0: Yes. So, but-
1: so my question is 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 the is the original vet? Va- God, how do how do you say it again? Va- vaginismus.
0: Vaginism. Yeah. Oh,
1: it sounds like a like a monster in a Godzilla movie or something. I mean, it it's does. Really like Godzilla versus it vaginismus. It works. It works. <laughs> it, it, admitted,
3: it, it really works. does work. It does works. Work. Yeah. So, does. so is
1: the is the original cause of the vaginismus mental or physical?
0: It depends. Okay. So for some of our patients, it could be a history of trauma. For some of our patients, it's a back surgery. For some of our patients, it's a vaginal delivery or a C-section. For some of our patients, um, it's a combination of they they were born with a,
3: mm-hmm.
0: a sensitive nervous system, right? And they might have endometriosis or vulvodynia, which is a whole other condition where you have burning at the vulva, or the and the vagina all the time or some of the time anyway. So- it might just be, they might have a really stressful event, right? Like They may have taken their SATs and they didn't go well or they went through a divorce. And then that event kind of was the straw. Mm-hmm. And then their body just kind of had this reaction.
1: So so sorry to sip, try to simplify this, but would you say that the majority of cases stem from a, a mental or a, a physical origin?
2: Yeah, in your experience.
0: In my experience, it's 53.
1: Wow, oh. Okay. So, so in other words, there, there are probably half the cases are a result, if not more, of a mental origin followed by sort of a mental like loop cycle where it just keeps.
0: But I don't. I want to be. I want us to like think about it more comprehensively. So Mm -hmm. I would think of it as a chronic versus acute condition, versus like mental versus physical. Because mental health is physical health, Mm -hmm. and so if your body has a reaction to something going inside of it right? Then it's not, it, yes, like it might just be that there's a nerve that was compressed when you had a fall or when the when you gave birth, like, you know, you had vaginal muscle tearing and that mm-hmm. scar tissue has caused, that. you know, that can happen. But then if you have that enough, so let's say you're, you're it's almost like constantly like drinking lemonade when you have canker sores in your mouth.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over time, you're just
0: going to not going to want to drink anything.
3: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: And so that's really just you protecting yourself. So there's nothing dysfunctional about you not wanting to drink anything. If you have canker mm-hmm. sores in your mouth.
3: Yeah, and so that's a good some,
0: comparison.
3: Does that make <laughs> sense?
0: So I, cause a lot of patients really are like, something's wrong with me if I was just more relaxed and it's not that simple. Like if, if, if it was just about drinking wine and like, you know, taking an edible I mean, dang! I'd be out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know, I, mean, you I do, want to be out of
0: business. You could
1: do that anyway, even right? If it work. I mean, please, yeah. like,
0: don't let me stop you, <laughs> right? But yeah, I think that it, there is not. I wish I could say there was a simple answer as to right. why this happens. Mm-hmm. I think the the important thing and the, and the positive Pollyanna spin on this is that we are talking about this, and that people are going to get, they're going to understand. Oh, okay, so I can get help for this, and they're going to have audacity. To pursue interventions or a healthcare provider that's going to listen to them and is going to properly um, address this issue for them, so that they can get get back to a get to a place where sex is no longer a place of stress and despair. Mm-hmm.
3: I
2: have what might be a really stupid question. No I'm, stupid I questions might, here. I might I might cut this based on how stupid I'm worried it is. What don't know, <laughs> but. but She's Canadian. I'm (laughs) I'm apologizing for my question before I've even asked it. But I'm trying to understand where sexual arousal meets that uh, the contraction, like the inability to let anything in. Can someone be sexually aroused and also have have that sensation where they can't let anything in? Does that make sense? Yes. And that's a, a good great question. question.
0: That's a Thank great you.
1: question. Thank you. <laughs> yes.
2: You're absolutely.
1: stupid to think it was a
3: stupid question. <laughs>
0: yes. That's- yes, absolutely. Yeah. I have patients. A lot of people are very smart about figuring out other ways to have a sex life that doesn't involve penetration. And so they can get aroused. They can have orgasms. You don't need a penetration to have pleasure. We all but- know this. But like it's not it doesn't disrupt like you can still be aroused and not yeah. and and have that response. So
2: you mm-hmm. can be aroused and be wet and still yep. okay, yep. wow. Yep. It actually is it's almost impressive how strong those muscles are. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like yes. it's for better or for worse. Like that's kind of amazing.
0: It's and and the thing is, you know, it's one of those things where I, when I work with patients who, do, who have, um, and also there's a primary vaginismus and a secondary vaginismus so, or a primary issue versus secondary. So primary is basically, these are individuals who've had this problem from like day one. So okay. from the start of their menses, they never were able to insert a tampon, never been able to have a pelvic exam. So we see that a lot. Okay. And that's actually much harder to treat than the people who were having penetrative sex, but then something happened. Um, okay. And then we have to kind of get them there because the the difference between the secondary and primary is that the secondary has experience with pain-free penetrative intercourse, uh, whereas, in, so there, whereas the okay. primary paci- patient does not.
2: I just want to circle back slightly then. So when you said the treatment, would you say that using dilators is the most, I mean, it sounds like it's a combination of the mental health, but physically yeah. dilators are quite yes. common.
0: So dilators are quite common. Um, Some people can do dilators without aid, meaning they can do dilators without medical aid. So I I think I mentioned lidocaine. So lidocaine cream is a numbing. Obviously, we all know what it does for our teeth when we get dental work, but we can put that at the vaginal opening to to numb it a little bit so that you don't have that sharp, acute pain when you insert a dilator. So for some people, that can be helpful because even just the feeling of pain shuts them down. And mm-hmm. then, of course, we have to get patients to under, get into a pain acceptance model. Because I, I tell people this, and this is one of my i as you all have realized—I like analogies, metaphors, all that. I so love I tell it. People, yeah. I tell people You're that good company. Like, you are in good company. <laughs> I tell people that they need to think of their pain as Liza Minnelli, right? Always like center stage, just like you know, I'm here, mm-hmm. dancing all around. There's—you don't notice anything else on the stage but Liza. That is your pain. Hmm. And Hmm. we need to get your pain to like, we need to get Liza's AKA your pain to share the stage with other sensations, with other experiences that you're feeling, including that.
2: Okay. Hmm. With, with the backup singers. Yeah. With the the backup (laughs) singers. Right. Band. Right. Okay. Okay.
0: Um, And so having that pain acceptance concept is really hard. for people. Um, But once they get there, once they can, and that's where mindfulness techniques are really helpful. Um, so that people can like feel, okay, I have pain, but I'm also feeling like open. I'm also feeling warm, you know, very basic things, but it's super helpful.
2: So let's say someone comes to you with vaginismus and they, Mm -hmm. they go through treatment and it's Mm -hmm. successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they go about their life. Is, does that pain ever fully go away? Like after successful treatment? Or when it you say it shares the stage.
0: Yeah, it depends. So, you know, for some of our patients, um, like, for example, for some of our secondary patients, the pain does go away. Um, you know, I see that all the time. With our primary patients, we see that it does go away. But for some, it just may be like instead of it being a 10 out of 10, it's a 1 out of 10 or a 2 out of 10 every once in a while.
2: But with the oh, goal... That's- that's yeah. I feel like that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from from, from no. a 10 yeah. out of 10.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Cuz with the goal of it kind of over time, I tell my patients, I'm not looking for perfection. Like I don't discharge patients when they're 100%. I discharge them when they say they seem like 70% improvement. Cuz at that point they can carry it on their own. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't need me at that point cuz they already have the tools. I don't I don't want them to see me forever for the rest of their life.
2: Okay, so another very common question I'm sure this will track with your experience. And getting back to shame mm. and guilt, mm. the lack of general awareness around and, and you're making me realize it's not just vaginismus. Vaginismus is one condition under this yep. umbrella. I forget what the what GPPPD. What it was.
1: <laughs> you forgot already? That's what
0: I what mean, mean girl. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm really slow today. So the the questions are sort of, you know all similar Mm -hmm. how would you i'll start i'll start with this one how and when would you recommend someone disclosing this condition or a condition like this with a new partner because this this came up a lot
0: yeah immediately um well let me say this let me with that caveat i say when you feel comfortable but that's that might never be that may be never (laughs) you know um so i always say the sooner the better but make sure you understand the condition or what's going on with you first and you're in a good place with it meaning you understand that it's something or you're working on getting treatment or you're taking a break from treatment wherever you're at make sure mm-hmm. you're just in a good space your the new partner should not dictate how you feel about what's going on in your body got it it's more when you're having a conversation about pleasure and negotiating your sexual experience, sexual scene with your partner, you wanna make sure that you're kind of centering it around this is what gives me pleasure. And this is what doesn't give me pleasure. And depending on the day, the thing that I told you gives me pleasure might not be, so you might just need to check in. It's about a conversation because when I've had, I've had a few partners with pelvic pain, like male partners with pelvic pain, and it's been easy breezy for us, obviously, because I do what I do. So they hit the jackpot with that. But, um, (laughs) but, but also because it was, it wasn't that I was quote willing to to go along with them. It was more that I was very much interested in having a mutual pleasurable sexual experience. And I wanted to engage with them in a way that was pleasurable for them and pleasurable for me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, so if we center, if they center that conversation around that, I would say they should just talk about it as soon as possible. Most probably I would recommend before their first sexual encounter with that person
3: mm-hmm.
0: so that they don't, so that they don't set up that sexual experience to kind of be where they're performing or they feel like they need to put a pillow over their head while they're having sex.
2: Okay. So this is not on my list, but just based on that answer, would you therefore suggest that someone when you said that they should be comfortable with where they're at in their journey, figuring this out, Mm -hmm. would you suggest that someone work on that before they begin dating or, you know, begin exploring that?
0: I would say they work. You can do it before dating. You can do it while you're dating. You could do it, you know, when you're about, when you're married, like you can do it anytime. Mm -hmm. Um, But don't, but I don't think that this diagnosis should be a shame marker. For them. Yes. Right? They this is just this is how the cookie crumbles. This is what these are the cards that were dealt. Yeah. And so you just want to inform your partner, hey, yo, I have pelvic pain, but this is how I like to receive pleasure. And I'm working on it or I'm not working on it and kind of work through it with that.
2: Okay. And in your experience, how successful are your patients generally in finding that? finding success, finding a sexual relationship that works when they do have something like vaginismus. This was a popular one. Mm
0: -hmm. So, okay, is there
2: uh, a light at the end of the tunnel? (laughs)
0: There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but I want to give people some insight um, into this. So um, people who have chronic pelvic pain and chronic sexual dysfunction, their partners usually develop some form of sexual dysfunction because. Mm. Because their partner doesn't want to hurt them. Mm. You know, are their partners afraid to approach them or they don't want them to feel pressure? So there's a lot of like performance anxiety, there's insecurity, there's hesitation. So then, you know, I've, I've gotten a question like that before where I had um, uh, a, a guy reach out to me because he's like, you see, can you answer this question for bourbon Tales?" Um, you know, my wife had pelvic pain for many years and then no longer has it, but now I can't perform. Oh. Mm -hmm. and and he was he was he was like what do i do i don't even know like this is we've never had a situation where i didn't have to be cognizant of her pain and now she's telling me i can and i just don't know how to do that so i think that everyone needs to give each other a lot of grace so um to start off with that there's there's kind of a tug tug of war on both on both sides um but i do see people successfully negotiate this with, But the prerequisite is an open mind and a willingness to kind of go through that roller coaster, just like any other relationship. Yeah. But this condition is not, it's not, um, a, a, it's not a handicap. I don't want people to think of it like that. It's an opportunity to understand and learn about your body and your sexuality in a way that actually can really improve your sexual communication Definitely.
2: and experience
1: uh one just just to keep it even for the men yeah, yeah. <laughs> i figured uh, do you, did you have a do you have any male follow-ups in here uh,
2: there are a couple of uh, there's just one
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice i mean dear shandy's uh it's audience like is like 98 female, <laughs> uh, female.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> and i don't think the one guy who listens to dear shandy is going to talk about his erectile dysfunction so um <laughs> But my question is: is it's interesting because on the other side of the coin, erectile dysfunction is so easy to fix nowadays. With all, there's a million pills, like boner pills, all over well, the last, place. Well, I mean,
2: do you agree with that?
1: Uh, no, I, I haven't finished the question. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but but if you really want to get to the root of curing ED, I would imagine it's as or more complicated than the mental challenge of um curing vaginismus Vaginism? yes. yeah. vaginismus got it um so yeah. my question to you is when a guy comes to you which i'm sure guys do come to you with erectile dysfunction okay uh,
0: oh yeah oh yeah
1: and and that's probably the most common problem i have two questions but one is do you do they come to you wanting to cure the root of it or do they come just like you know can you get me a prescription for Viagra? no they want they want their
0: penis to
1: work okay and yeah. and it and with men, is that is it the same ratio of mental to physical, or is it or is it different?
0: If you're coming to me, forty and under, mm-hmm. with ED, we have to screen you for diabetes. We have to screen you for cardiovascular dysfunction first. Okay. Because you're young, you you shouldn't there shouldn't be any physiological reason why this is happening. So they're going to do that first and make sure they roll that out. When it's when you're under forty with primary ed there's most most likely most commonly it's a psychological problem
1: Mm -hmm. got it okay over
0: 40 over 40 that's a whole different beast Right. because because we're dealing with prostate issues we're dealing with all like all these other um right right No, of course yeah that happens so that's why it's like sort of it's actually Mm -hmm. more direct with um men over 40 than it is with men over under 40
1: got it. And and one last question. We're I'm going to consolidate the male questions to like this 2 minute section. Sure. But uh Just my second It's like male... the
2: men's section in a department yeah. store,
1: <laughs> like a lingerie store. So uh so my second question is involving the pelvic floor with men. I am assuming there are men who cannot orgasm, right? Yeah. That's yeah. that's a thing. Or they have painful
0: and, orgasms, painful ejaculation. But as far
1: as far as not being able to, I would imagine that being able to, you know, have a, a pelvic floor that functions, you know, lengthens and shortens properly would be necessary for that. So do you have men who come in with that problem?
3: Yes.
0: Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And we do the same. It's a similar same intervention as women and vagina owners. It's simply just making sure they understand what their pelvic is doing on the pelvic floor is doing a baseline and then adjusting. So whether okay. they have too much tone, relaxing. They don't have enough tone, bulking that up.
1: So it's fair to say that you've seen everything. Just, just <laughs> on both sides.
0: I think that's pretty fair. I you know, I see trans patients or patients post-operatively after they've had gender affirmation surgery. I've mm-hmm. seen um, you know, I've 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 seen the gamut. It's it's mm-hmm. a pretty cool job.
2: <laughs> wow. Very, very I... cool. Okay. Postnatal issues. Okay, okay. Great. Could you give us a brief overview of how giving birth affects the pelvic area?
3: <laughs> oh. I don't know why I'm
0: I don't know why I'm giggling. I think so when we have to remember that uh, this queen has been carrying this child for nine months, hmm. and all that weight and changes to the posture of the body puts a lot of stress on the pelvic floor itself. So it's kind of been in an elongated position for a long time, particularly in that third trimester. So you have that, so from the pregnancy standpoint. Now, depending on the delivery and what has gone down in the delivery. So if let's talk vaginal deliveries first. So Mm -hmm. if they had a really difficult vaginal delivery, if they labored for a long time, if they pushed for a long time, if they tore, right? So if you had, so a grade three And a grade four tear is when you're basically tearing from vagina to rectum. They have to actually like suture together your perineum again. Hmm. Ouch. Does that make sense? Like everything's open. So then they have to kind of close it and they have to, because you have something called the perineal body that kind of is actually where your pelvic floor is attached. And that's between the anus and the vagina. And that's actually not.
2: Uncommon. No, what I understand, right? It's
0: not common, but it's not on, it's not like, yeah, right? It's Um, not rare. Yeah, but it can get be obliterated during delivery. And then if you had instrumentation, if like forceps, vacuum, all of those things can happen. Um, Even some people who have like a grade two tear, which is still tear, um, have significant pain because you could have compressed a nerve. We could (laughs) have, we could have severed a nerve. Like, so there are lots of things that can happen with that vaginal delivery. And then remember with the C-section, you're not protected either because you're, that's a major abdominal surgery. That's cutting through all the layers of the abdominal muscle wall. And you need that abdominal muscle wall to support your pelvis. Your pelvic floor is going to either undercompensate, it's going to overcompensate or just kind of undercompensate after that
3: surgery.
0: So that's also a risk factor. So that's that's what happens during the pregnancy uh, delivery process. So every woman, every person who gives birth should go to a pelvic floor physical therapist at least once to be screened. There are not a lot, there are not enough of us out there to actually make that happen, but that actually should happen so we can just at least evaluate you, and mm-hmm. just say, okay, here's you're good, girl. This is what I want you to do for the next 12, 12 weeks or the next year, and to remember that the postpartum phase lasts about two years or until you stop breastfeeding and all that. So. Making sure they understand that there's a whole fourth trimester that occurs, which is called postpartum.
2: Okay. Ooh. Well, there <laughs> Did goes our that? shot at
1: having kids. <laughs> 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 Thank I'm you. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: I mean, um, it's lovely and amazing and such a gift and it's wonderful and women are badasses. But
2: I, yeah. I hope they I are badasses. That I hope no, I you, answered that question. Oh, you answered that question.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, question. Mm-hmm. Is sex ever really the same? This one came up a lot. So,
0: no. I, I think yes and no. I, I I truly can't answer that, actually, uh, because I'm not in the body and in the race relationship of all those other people. But based on my experience, people say that they get back to having sex and it either feels even better than before. About really? the same. Yeah. Because they may have... And those are usually my patients who've gone through PT with, with me. Um, so they're getting some counseling in terms of communication and, you know, kind of, it's, it's almost an opportunity for them to revamp their sex life. Um, and, and some of them really take that on. Now, depending on what goes on during that postpartum phase, it may be worse. They might have more pain or they may not be able to feel things the same or they feel like their sensation is gone or it's harder to achieve orgasm. And that could be for a lot of reasons. It could be for what happened physically, or it could be what's going on. Their bandwidth is not what it used to be, right? Because okay. you have a new baby or you might have multiple children at home and, and the new baby, or there was problems in the relationship beforehand, but now are getting exposed to a totally different level because you both are sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And tired and you know so
1: it's kind of the perfect storm I mean to pinpoint the storm. one physical aspect that makes sex less good after yeah birth.
0: yeah I always tell people that if you're going into your pregnancy with like it's like you know fireworks angels weeping type of sex and you're communicating well and everything's good and you have and you manage your expectations about what sex is going to your what sex life is going to look like after baby and it's more fluid versus rigid Mm-hmm. If you don't expect it's going to go just as it was before, and you say, we're going to find a new place that works for us, that mindset alone will help you. It'll actually just kind of be a nice, soft landing and just yeah. be like, ah, okay, you know what? We're going to get it popping. It's going to feel different. It's probably going to feel better because we're going to do things different. We're going to approach it differently. We may not do it as much because we don't have time or we may do it more. I don't know. Everyone's different, but that's the approach
2: to look at. Okay, you just answered one of my questions, but okay. another one. Can doing pelvic exercises help prevent changes after birth, or is it all about postnatal care? Is, is, there, is there a point in doing pelvic exercises there's while always, you pregnant? Yeah,
0: there's definitely a point. Because uh, remember, your pelvic floor is part of that pelvis. So you, with your, the stronger your pelvic floor is, the, the stronger your abdominal muscles are stronger your glutes your paraspinal muscles all those are you're gonna do better after after delivery
2: no matter what incontinence whether postnatal or incontinence in general Mm. first of all is there this might be such an ignorant question please I'm sure that I'm sure the causes are different whether it's Mm postnatal or just general incontinence Mm -hmm. is the treatment similar it's such a, it's such a this, dumb
0: question. The treatment is similar, but that's a great question because nice. you can have <laughs> we can have urinary incontinence um, for okay. So the treatment for urinary incontinence is going to change depending on the population. So if I have a neuromuscular par- population, so patients with mus- multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's, their treatment is going to be a little bit different than a postpartum patient. Got it. For incontinence. So that's that's where it's a great question. Um, so yeah, it's going to be different. If if a patient comes to me postpartum and they're saying that they're having leakage, I need to know what's going on. What happened with the delivery? What happened with, well, did you have incontinence before? Did you mm-hmm. have pain before? Um, because if I'm not going to give someone Kegels if they have scar tissue and tearing from the delivery. I need to address okay. those issues first. I need to address the pain first before I can deal with strengthening the muscles to get better support to the bladder and urethra. So it just depends. So I might okay. have to do like internal release, teach them how to do that themselves, to make sure that scar tissue doesn't become a problem or to address tight muscles because a patient can leak with really tight muscles too. Because if oh. I'm, if I'm clenching my fist all day, do you think I can hold a fork? No. Right. <laughs> right. Because I'm point. fatigued out. Like even my muscles too tight, I can't release it. Or I, the muscles tired because it's been working overtime.
2: Too hard. So, okay.
0: so those, so that's why I said, it depends on what I find. Um, but I think pelvic floor strengthening is um, a gold standard treatment if that's appropriate based on the objective findings we get.
2: And when you say pelvic pelvic floor strengthening, are we basically talking Kegels? Kegels, yeah.
0: But Pretty also much. remember, most people don't do Kegels properly. Um, so they're holding their breath, they're clenching their glutes, they're squeezing their toes, they're using their whole body to do a Kegel. Like, like I'm doing a Kegel right now, and I look like I have dead eyes, right? <laughs> That's how it
3: should
0: look. But like, if you're walking by and someone's like, I'm doing my Kegels. And you can
3: see their shoulders moving <laughs> and
0: they're like, their body. I'm doing my Kegels. And they're like, you
2: know, <laughs> <on> that's <laughs> yes. Like, nah, homie, you're not doing it right. right. <laughs> like, you
0: need to fix that. All of that needs to be
2: fixed. Is it possible that if you are, I, I don't know, lifting your shoulders while doing your Kegels, that you're still, it's still better than nothing? Or is it like you're just doing it wrong? Period. You're just doing it wrong. Okay.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> From the expert, you're yes. doing it wrong. Okay. We're going to circle back to Kegels at the end. Perfect. Okay. Orgasming. If yes. someone feels intense buildup during sex okay. with or without a partner,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it, this came up a lot, the sense that they they know they're close okay. and then either they just can't get there, it suddenly feels too sensitive or it becomes uncomfortable. hmm I guess some of that is psychological some of the time. I'm just wondering, I mean, I I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Or and how much, how how often do you see that? And can exercising, strengthening the pelvic floor help with that?
0: Yeah, I see that all the time. So great question. Um, I actually, actually, a lot of people experience that um, where they feel like they're like, it's almost like an orgasm glass ceiling. And Yeah. Like they're like it's it's like they're trying to get and they, they can't get past the
2: ceiling. Yeah, I love. She uses so many analogies, and I am living for it. That's, that's
1: like that's like it's horrifying.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I can say I have I <laughs> I have, I have been, there. been there. I always tell people, so yes, pelvic floor
0: strengthening can definitely be very helpful. But here's how I always tell people: this is like my little hack. So you can use the pelvic floor as a way to enhance your awareness of what's happening in your body. So instead of focusing on the orgasm and trying to achieve that orgasm, kind of use the pelvic floor to see if that can change the sensations that you're experiencing. It's almost like you're doing an elevator contraction. So I always tell people to think that you're squeezing and bring it, bring me to the second floor. Oh, third floor, fourth floor. Wait, during okay. sex or yeah, during-, during sex? or wow. Masturbation. Right. So Ooh. it's like, it's almost like you squeeze with, effort, then 50%, 75, 100, because it should be, it should feel like it's coming up, 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 and then release, and then up, 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 and almost as, you know, you can practice this when you're like massaging the clitoris, the vulva, whatever sexy time activity you're doing, and experiment with play, right, Mm -hmm. and kind of let that focus be, I want to, I want to see how this goes, or let me use my vibrator, let me not use my vibrator, let me see how this feels as I'm experimenting and playing with my pelvic floor in this way. And then boom, orgasm happens. Cause when you shift your focus to kind of experiencing different sensations versus like, I need to, I'm being kind of focused on, or, you know, goal oriented sex or orgasm oriented sex, mm-hmm. it actually, it's just going to keep running from. Me.
2: Yeah. And this is a Definitely. way to kind of
0: low key break that glass ceiling.
3: <laughs> low key break, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and,
0: yeah. and just kind of be able to kind of, find a new path, either you break the ceiling or you find a new way. And I always tell people like that's one way to do it is yeah, doing Kegels, but kind of coordinated Kegels and kind of used to focus on the pleasure centric Kegels. Or for patients who have high tone, it may just simply be we need to focus on muscle relaxation, right? Relaxing Mm -hmm. the muscle versus like kind of tense because some people kind of tense up their whole body to get the orgasm or they feel like they really need like Really, really intense sensation to get there, which they may need that, but they're kind of blocking blood flow from getting to that area if they're clenched all the time. And remember, orgasm or sorry, arousal, orgasms,
2: erections, all about the blood flow. Okay, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So, actually, what you would suggest for those people is truly to just experiment. with kegels or like held kegels or spurts of kegels. Yeah. Are different. Like
0: you, yeah. Like it's almost like graded kegels. You can try yeah. that. That's just one technique out of a thousand. Um, but you can do like a squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and then, woo, and then maybe start your vibration then, and then release. It's like, Oh, that's a whole new sensation. But you also have to kind of be open to experience, experimenting with that. And I think sometimes people, have a lot of grief and I know that sounds like a big word for this but people do have a lot of grief about like their sexual performance and sensation and abilities and to achieve an orgasm or not and sometimes they want to achieve it a certain way because yeah. they want to be like everybody else and I'm like let, let, let's get let go of what it's what they think it's supposed to look like
2: I didn't have my first orgasm till I was 25 so I and and I had a lot of the glass ceiling that you're talking about yeah. up until that point so It speaks to me what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Um, My first orgasm, seven.
2: Seven? Yeah. Nice. I I
1: was, was, yeah, I was at the park climbing up a pole to get to somewhere and it just boom. And then you're
0: like, holy shit, that
3: was. I was with my
1: grandmother actually. Really? I, I, I told her too. She was like, she acted real weird. I remember she was just I can like, imagine. I, I, I don't want to talk to like, I was like, what are you talking about? I just discovered the most amazing thing in the world. Why don't you want to talk about this?
2: You know what's funny is Great we Mages walked story. past that park and you pointed out that pole. Yeah. <laughs> <It's a> <laughs> <day>. <laughs> Recently.
1: Yeah. I should put a plaque on it. <laughs>
0: um, I also pole. want to say one more thing about the orgasm thing is to really also examine, you know, again, I almost feel like annoyed with myself as I'm about to say this, but hang in there. Um, <laughs> examine, you know, what you, your sexual philosophy and values are. If If you do actually have a lot of shame around sex, it is going to mess with your ability to achieve an orgasm. And, or, or it's going to mess with the, your ability to experience pleasure from an orgasm because an orgasm and pleasure are not synonymous. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And so there are a lot of orgasms that are not pleasurable, right? But we want to be able to kind of think about that. And, you know, I always tell people to focus on their pleasure, but sometimes people don't know what that is. And so sometimes it might just be like, let's find your neutral Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and then go from there. So
2: that's just my little bit. And let's say you don't have an issue orgasming. Can yeah. doing Kegels generally strengthening the pelvic floor make your orgasms better? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> quick answer to that one, moving on.
1: I, 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 I also have a question okay. for men, okay. <laughs> another yeah. 10 second break. Um, yeah. as, as men get older, and I've experienced this personally, that's like an extreme degree, but it's very noticeable. Orgasms just get less good. Um and and I've read something about something called like the ropes or something where it's like this how many contractions you have oh yeah yeah like yeah goes yeah. down uh, what is there anything for a man to do I'm not I'm just asking for a friend you know
0: ask <laughs> me for a friend kegels like yeah. doing I say you know ten to fifteen kegels a day keeps the pelvic floor physical therapist away and do it different types like do some where you hold. Do some where you're doing an elevator, do a quick flick, and do a regular contraction where you squeeze and lift release, right? So for men, you want to imagine that you're tightening the anus and pulling the penis into your body, almost like a turtle's head going into a shell.
1: Got it. And can that count as saying, I went to the gym, or is that not?
0: I say it's it's close. I would consider it like a gym warm-up.
1: Okay. (laughs) All right. I'll take that.
2: The infamous G-spot. Yes,
0: queen. Yes.
2: <laughs> Should all people with vaginas be able to have a G-spot orgasm or some anatomy is just not built for it.
0: Okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to I'm going to say I'm just going to keep it real with y'all. So, the evidence is split. Some okay. some research scientists are like, "What the hell are you talking about? That's full trash."
3: Mm. And
0: others say it exists. And so what I always tell my patients is that if you're experiencing a G-spot orgasm, go with it. Right. And some people say, I want to find my G-spot. I want to find my G-spot. And again, it's going to have the similar response that I had with the orgasm question, where it's like, if you're just like having sex to find this, this illustrious G-spot, you're missing out.
3: Okay. Hmm.
2: You're
0: missing out. Having G-spot oriented sex, especially if you haven't experienced something similar or if If a friend says they've had it and and you're like, I want that to really just focus on experimenting with your body and your sexual pleasure in different ways to access that pleasure. And trust me, you will find spots that are hypersensitive to to touch and you'll be like, oh, okay. And it doesn't necessarily need to be inside the vagina. Okay. And this is another concept that I want people to understand is that we have patients with spinal cord injury that are able to achieve orgasm but they have partial sensation because the orgasm is achieved in the brain. Mm-hmm. The pleasure center is not the G spot. The pleasure center is your brain. You can sensitize any part of your body to experience that
1: pleasure. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that landed yeah. with the thud but that I don't, it should land with. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to poo poo on anyone's
0: experience of what they've had in their body. If you're saying I have G spot orgasm, I believe you.
3: hmm.
0: I believe Mm -hmm. you like I'm not like I'm not saying it's not real but I think from a physiological perspective there's still high high debate
2: okay so don't necessarily go into every session seeking that out because exactly you might be setting yourself up for failure exactly and
1: and to take that to an extreme is it is it possible to have the exact same quality of orgasm from a vaginal versus a clitoral yes okay yes
0: I think the the issue and it just depends and It depends on the individual. So I think there are a couple of things. Number one, people who have a clitoral orgasm want the vaginal orgasm because they just want to experience it. Therefore, sometimes people come to me. I've had patients who say they have orgasm dysfunction because they haven't achieved a vaginal orgasm, but they can have Mm. a clitoral orgasm in their sleep. Mm. Right? And I'm like, but you don't have sexual... And the thing is, it's not for me to tell them they don't have sexual dysfunction, but it's for me to educate them and to manage their expectations moving forward and to teach them about their body and how they can explore their body. Now, some people, for just the sheer act of novelty, if they experience a vaginal orgasm, they're like, "Man, that was amazing!" Because it just felt different. It may have been like a really great. The context was just right. They're you know, like, "I want that shit all day, every day. Get me <laughs> more of that, please." Okay. And so then I say, "Okay, then chase that." Right. So that's a, that's the, something where it's like chase that. You know, set that up. You know, like do it again. And, See what your body- Because you like, know it's like, possible. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And so I think that, when, again, when you're more open, when you're, when you're able to explore your body in a way that's not judgmental, that's not goal-oriented, those pleasurable experiences will come pending that you don't have any of the things that we talked about earlier.
2: This is your question, Andy. It's my
1: question. I had a question. We had,
2: we had, when we had the sex therapist on, this came up, and oh, this is a big. And deal. it went unanswered, and I was oh. like, you know who's going to have our now, answer? Now
1: uh, I'm going to, I'm going to lay it on the table is- here. Like <laughs> okay. whatever you say, I am going to agree is the definitive answer for this question. I am firm. Okay, you asked the question.
3: Oh my god,
0: just- I'm nervous. Okay, yeah. Right.
1: I-, I just want to make sure everyone knows that I'm not arguing with you. If you say that whatever the answer is, it goes against my theory, I'm going to accept it. once and for all
2: demystify squirting what is it okay
0: great question um and i just answered this in bourbon tales like two weeks ago or three weeks ago
2: So, I, I could I confess I watched it so I already know what she's going to say. Oh, you didn't tell me. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil it for you, but I've already oh, scoped it. Ad- everyone should follow tricky. your Instagram, UC Logic, cuz it's <laughs> oh, very you. educational. Should I, yes, should I tell, I tell her
1: my theory before she goes into hers?
2: No, I because people are people are Okay, sure, but people are very offended by Andy's theory oh, last time. Maybe I shouldn't. But you can tell her. Uh,
1: I I I think and I will accept being completely wrong that it's mostly urine.
2: Okay.
3: So, maybe that's it.
0: Okay. Well, a lot. So, okay. Okay. So that is actually incorrect. And But I, you know, I think it was, you know, I think it's a very common question. So Mm. there is such thing. I'm just going to clarify. There's such thing as coital incontinence. So women who have urinary incontinence with um, orgasm or sexual Mm. arousal. Okay. So, but that's not this. So what we know to be true is that there can be a common, there is a little bit of urine in it, but there's also, you know, kind of um, lubrication and like some uh, prostate type qualities that can come out of, of the vagina for this, for, for a lot of women. But squirting is not, there's again, still have debate on this. There's not, there's no physiological proof that that's a thing though some women may have that, they may have, they may squirt, but not the ball that you're seeing in porn where it's like just shooting across, (laughs) like where it's like, right. Some women can squirt, but it's not going to be like a gallon of, and some people- but what if it is a gallon?
1: Yeah.
2: Amount? So in Andy's experience, it has been a gallon amount, and so mm-hmm. he was. He just I put-
1: lied. I'm going to. Ba- I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to the mat with you. So this. in that. <laughs> I, I, so <laughs> in that. So in that case, there may,
0: that probably was a full coital
1: incontinence. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So in other words, if you have like porn style squirting, it's likely coital incontinence. Yes. Yes. Interesting. But,
2: but most likely like, a, a combination. A combination of-, of the two. So
0: I'm not saying that the squirting is not incontinence okay yeah. <laughs> so that's a separate
1: that's because separate. i was specifically referring to porn style squirting
0: yeah so like important that's what we're saying is like porn style squirting like there's no there's no organ in the system that holds that can hold
2: that amount of fluid that, that's what i was okay I was saying. so that's what he was saying last time but people people got upset but
1: (laughs) but but i want to clarify that i'm not talking about some like little dainty squirting i'm talking about the full-on like yeah and so
2: in that case yeah the only the only organ system
0: that can hold that much volume is the bladder Mm -hmm. and so in in that case you know that most likely that person was having a coital incontinence episode and squirting or um you know i forget what the other way we describe it but squirting um is not bad. Mm. okay it's not bad it's
2: like are you like
0: i think they did a uh, there was a research study and i i don't want to quote the percentage but it was a small amount of urine, like a small amount it wasn't all your. that's okay. not yeah that's not
2: it
1: that makes sense thank you that was you're welcome en- enlightening. and enlightening
2: yeah and actually on that note you can squirt without orgasming mm-hmm. correct yes mm-hmm. that's what mm. i thought oh all right last question it's a two-parter what's a good basic pelvic floor exercise that you would be- that would benefit anyone listening to this conversation, and then from there, any equipment, toys, apps, just give us the the homework that we can all walk away from, men and women.
0: Okay, so we're going to just talk about pelvic health as from a general general health perspective, and I'll tell you what I do on the day if that helps.
2: Yeah. Not it just does not, hurt. I t- want to know,
0: <laughs> not too much TMI or anything like that. What but, does the expert do? You know, I don't know, the expert, what I do is what I do is I do similar to what I was saying before is I pick a time every day, either first thing in the morning or in the evening. And I pick about, t- I do 10 pelvic floor contractions. So for me, I'll start with doing a hold. So I'll squeeze and hold for 10 seconds and then I rest for, t- for 10 seconds. So I repeat that five times. Then I'm going to do my elevator. So I might squeeze and just go up, 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 down, 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 up, 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 down, down,
3: down. Are we so both
2: doing it right now. I'm so doing, do that. It, right now. I'm doing yeah. it too. Yeah.
0: And I do that five times and then that's it. So that's what I do. And then some days I might do like all holds someday I'll do quick flicks. So squeeze and lift, squeeze and lift, release, squeeze and lift, release, squeeze and lift, release. Squeeze and
1: look uh, What's the, just, just for my friend, what's the timing in between <laughs> each of these things?
0: Sure. So I just, I just do one set of 10, but sometimes I do, I divvy it. So I might do five. So I'll do like, um, like I said, like five quick clicks. So like squeeze and look, release, squeeze and release. So that's a quick click. Then I rest for 30 seconds. Then I'll do another set of, I'll do another set of five of a different type of contraction. And
2: would you say sense. it's the same for, for men and women? It's like cross, yeah. Any all genders, these all same genders, exercise.
0: all genital packages are good to go with this.
2: Now, any if, oh, sorry.
0: It, the only caveat is I'm saying this as a general exercise. If you have pain, if you have constipation, if you have difficulty emptying your bladder, things like that, don't do this without being screened by a healthcare provider first. Um And if you have problems or if you start experiencing pain when you do this, just go ahead and stop and see someone
2: any equipment toys or apps
0: i like i like toys so i like toys because they give you feedback um so put toys that you can insert into the anus or into the vagina so you can squeeze around and feel your muscles working around that that actually helps you kind of understand ooh that i'm getting stronger i can feel that you can even use a penis right <laughs> you could do all <laughs> types of things so that would be my the, my best recommendation just if you want to change things up you can also do your exercises while masturbating. So if you're using a toy, external toy or internal toy, that can also be a good thing to use while you're doing your um, kegels. Um, but there are no apps that I would say consistently get because um, I I've, I've tried a lot of apps with some of my patients and I've gotten a lot of mixed feedbacks. So there's nothing that's overwhelmingly overwhelmingly
2: yes, this is amazing. But toys, toys get the thumbs up. Yes, from Doctor UC. Yes. <laughs>
1: and uh okay and are there any
2: i was about to wrap what is no, it no i
1: got an important question <laughs> uh, are there any secret weapon i know you have them so don't don't be shy are there any like secret weapon male and woman female and male versions of how to like just cheat an orgasm just like the real like 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 some people you know like some people just stick a finger up someone's butt and like
2: i mean you know. okay, okay.
1: No, you know what I'm talking about.
2: I know what you're talking about.
0: For men, I will say this, that prostate stimulation gives a way stronger orgasm and muscle contraction, powerful muscle contraction, than, you know, stimulation of the penis alone.
1: And what's the best way to, to, to get, get?
0: To access on. the prostate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you insert your finger. So, so let's say you're laying on your side. Your right side, you're going to insert the finger into the rectum all the way and then almost kind of do like a come-hither movement with your index finger. So you're going to be feeling that prostate and you kind of massage it as you're um, kind of stroking the penis. So that can be helpful. You just have to play with pressure. You just have to play with the pressure and the sensitivity and everyone's a little bit different.
1: And for women?
0: Yeah. So for women, I would say... One of the things is a lot of women don't, direct stimulation can get a little bit sensitive over time. So I say that a real hack is to sandwich the clitoris with the vulva and do like this circle motion as, you're, as, you're, as you insert the finger into the vagina, if the, patient, if the person does not have <laughs> pain <laughs> as you're taking notes um, and actually do a similar motion. And everyone says that that's the G spot motion, but it's actually—it's really just kind of getting that those, those periurethal tissues are really sensitive, and they're also kind of in, attached to the clitoral the clitoral legs, and massaging that area that come hither, or you can come along the sides. Because remember, the clitoris is like a wishbone,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, so it we has saw
0: legs. It, Learned
2: that it on has legs podcast. along the sides.
0: <laughs> So you can actually like, if you, if you don't like that sensation, I call it 12 o'clock where the urethra is, then go to like three o'clock or nine o'clock because the legs of the clitoris are there and you can kind of massage and still do that little, that still
2: that, hey, you know, (laughs) as you. Do you
1: ever, you, you know, you should like be, do live coaching sessions. She
2: does have <laughs> on her Instagram. She has all, she's got it all.
1: No, I mean, you should be there like a coach. Be like, You got this. No, <laughs> you, got no
2: this. Go, you got this. Like, Come on, stop. let's do it. Do no. we,
1: how did, how did we do this in the gym? How did we do this? That's not how we
3: did it.
0: That's not how I coached you. Right. I, you know, yeah. it's funny. I'm, I, I am working on some stuff. Like last year I was going to do something and then I actually just scrapped it. Cause I didn't feel like with my focus group, it didn't work. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start from scratch but I am going to do something for postpartum, uh, women, uh, to get their sexy back. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be like this, like coaching and be like, I do this specifically and see how that feels. Um, that type of thing. So we'll see how it goes.
2: The world needs that.
0: Well, we'll start the world with them. Needs that. We'll sure. start with them, but then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to spread the love to all of the people.
2: There is a lot of love that you just spread with us. I've got to say that was, Enlightening. That last yeah. bit reminded me of like those Cosmo articles I used to read when I was in high school. But it's like, action you know, it's what you wanted that article to be. Oh
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not like to, you know, tiptoeing around, just yeah, like yeah, right, right into it.
2: Yeah, oh yeah,
1: right in and up. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I'd, I was like, rub. nope, this is how you do it. <laughs> yeah, oh,
1: you're lucky boyfriend. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I hope they know what they got.
2: Oh, Channa, that was like, I had high expectations. You just surpassed them all. That yeah, was fantastic. enlightening. Oh, really? Fantastic. I'm so glad. Yeah. I was like, let's oh, hope I'm answering these questions all right.
1: <laughs> mm, you did good.
2: No, that was really next level. Like, we went half, more than half an hour over time. And I'm sorry for keeping you so long, but it's really, be- we like to go with the flow and we just oh, couldn't stop. So. It's my
0: pleasure. It's my pleasure. This was really fun. Like, I love answering these questions because. I just want people to have good information so this so has been so,
1: great so so where if my friend has his problems where does he go to where wh- what yeah. does he do tell people what they do to get what you have to offer
0: absolutely so if you want to work with me one-on-one because i do see clients couples and individuals um you can go to my website y-o-u-se-e-logic.com and just fill out the form and you know meet um my assistant will get back to you and get you scheduled um, and then we could work together. You could also DM me on Instagram at UC Logic or Facebook, and I'm also on
2: Twitter. Awesome. I I'm speechless. Thank you <laughs> so much, Uchenna. What a what a great episode. Yeah, thank I, you, really really, 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 really. Thank
3: you. Yeah, oh that was.
2: It, 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 you've answered everything. and just, Everything. Even things that I didn't think. You, I, not that I didn't think you could, but just things that I wouldn't have thought would be answered in this conversation. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm super honored.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, thank we'll you. We'll be following you. All thank right. You. Have a great night. You thank too. Thank you, Jenna. Bye. 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 <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Wow. That okay. was a lot.
2: Okay, that was amazing. It was
1: a lot. That was a lot of amazing. That a was, lot
2: of amazing. Oof. She answered things that like i knew that she would have a lot to offer but i i love how specific she got like i gave you a hard time for asking another question when i wanted to wrap but just the specificity of like get on your side put your finger yeah, in the oh. anus and do this like it i people need that people don't talk about it enough they're like oh yeah stimulate the prostate
1: no no that was <laughs> i knew she was going to deliver yeah i knew it
2: yeah she was fantastic. She's probably got
1: a million tricks. She could probably write a book just on that.
2: I love her, just sort of the open, accepting vibe.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like,
2: come to me, you know. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it uh, out. It's just yeah. so. It's the right energy for what she does. She's got there's the so p- much anxiety perfect, about like
1: it. sexual problem bedside manner. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it couldn't be better. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> sexual problem bedside manner exactly. Yeah,
1: she's just like an angel.
2: Yes. I have nothing to add. She said everything that needed to be said. Yeah. And we're over time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so shall we're we good. wrap? We, sh- we shall. We shall wrap.
2: If you enjoyed what you heard today, you can keep Dear Shandy in business by liking, subscribing, hitting the notification bell, following us on Instagram, uh, leaving us iTunes reviews and ratings. We always love many stars.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do. We like We like the most amount of stars, which... We-
2: we like the and most amount of stars, which is five stars, yeah, is always five. Five stars yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and anything else? Oh, and tell your friends.
1: Yeah, tell your friends.
2: And all the things that you would do to keep a podcast like ours in business. Mm-hmm. And on that note, thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye.
3: Dear Shandy.